Going to John chapter 12. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning so we could see, know, understand, receive and respond to what you're saying, what you're doing. It's our joy to receive the word of God. It's our It is our joy to search it out. You said it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. So we take our position as kings appointed by you to search out the mysteries, the rich things that you place here for us. As we look at what for many of us is a familiar passage, a familiar event. We've seen it before. We've heard this verse before. Holy Spirit, bring the freshness, bring the joy again. Restore the joy of our salvation. God, we pray for the saints who aren't physically present with us this morning, those who are having issues in their bodies, those who are under attack. We plead the blood of Jesus over them, that even as the word of God is preached, that their symptoms would subside, that healing would come, that blessing would be imparted, that your anointing would rest on them. Whoever, wherever they are, whatever they're experiencing, we trust you for that. And we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm reading from John chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, then we're going to hop over into Luke. So we're putting the the narrative together of uh, this is what was happening yesterday. So six days before the Passover. So that would have been yesterday, Sabbath, Saturday. And then... Uh, We're going to keep following through to today, Sunday morning. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus had very recently raised Lazarus from the dead. You got to understand at this point, things have expanded big time, like the mobs, the throngs. This is he's three years in, and he's really been ramping up here at the end, especially. He's raised some people from the dead before, we know of for sure, but they were dead for a very short window, which isn't going to draw the, draw the same crowd, isn't going to draw the same storyline of a dude who was dead and in a tomb for four days, okay? So a, a boy in a funeral procession, he raised him up. Uh, a girl who had just died, he comes you know, minutes, maybe hours later, raises her up. Uh, he says she's just sleeping. So even that presented some like, was she asleep? Well, I heard that Jesus said she was asleep. Of course, he was speaking by faith. Uh, but now Lazarus dead for four days. Everybody throughout the community, oh, Lazarus died. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Sorry for y'all's loss. Four days, and Jesus shows up at the tomb and raises him up. And now a lot of people are believing in Jesus because Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Pharisees are super mad because it's super public that this dude was dead, 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 like super dead. Really, really officially, not like, well, I heard the little girl was asleep and Jesus came and, you know, gave her some medicine or something. So all this is ramping up his fame. People want to know what's going on. There are there is all the hope. There is all the suspicion. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Now, of course, the error that they make, which is why on Sunday morning they praise him. And then on Friday they say crucify him. The error is they're right in assuming he's the Messiah. They're correct. But they're expecting something different from him. They wanted an overthrow of the Romans, which is why when Friday comes, they're able to go, crucify this guy like this. You know, 
thought he was the Messiah, but clearly he's not because he's not doing the thing I demanded and I expected. I wanted an overthrow. We wanted to be set free, and they didn't realize they were being set free from their sin because his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is within you. Is it going to have an outward expression? Oh, you better believe it. We want everybody to bow the knee. The Romans, the Mees, the Yous, everyone should bow the knee. Jesus' kingdom should affect the government, should affect the schools, should affect the entertainment. It should affect everything. So we don't want to confuse that. Just go, oh, it's a spiritual kingdom. We have no jurisdiction in anything else. No, Jesus has jurisdiction over everything, but the people misunderstood how the Messiah would begin. He said, the kingdom of God is like what? Like yeast and bread. Ladies, talk to us, right? This is, you put a little bit in, not a lot. And what does it do to the whole lump of bread? The whole thing. Jesus said, this is what my kingdom is like. A little bit of yeast. And next thing you know, it changes everything. This is how the kingdom of God is. Y'all got me to preaching. I was supposed to be reading. All right, where were we? Verse two. <laughs> we made it all the way to verse two. <laughs> all the way to verse two. So they gave a dinner for him there, which is, you know, good etiquette. Jesus raises you from the dead. You ought to have him over for supper. Um, it's, just, it's just good manners. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Uh, John seems a little bit salty here. John's like, no, because he was a punk. He's a thief. <laughs> Jesus said, leave her alone so that, she may, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large... When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So lots of mob now, Jews from all over the world, y'all, they're coming to Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the week of Passover. So Jerusalem is going to be packed. The, the communities outside of Jerusalem are going to be packed. So we've got uh, here, this is Bethany, right? Yeah, they're in Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives. So you've got, Jeru- here's the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the Mount of Olives is over here. It's a hill. It's about 700 feet above. If you're on the Mount of Olives, you can look over and, and pretty much see all of Jerusalem right there. Um, they say you could almost throw a rock over into Jerusalem the road in is about a mile because it kind of goes down and winds, but it's right there. It's not far, but you know, it's like any city. It's got its little suburbs and communities, but all this is filling up. All this is filling up for weeks leading into it. People are traveling. They're coming to worship. They're coming to celebrate. Jerusalem is going to be packed. We're going to celebrate. Uh, this happens at the, all the different feasts, all, of course, which point to Christ, which are fulfilled in Christ but Passover in particular. So this crowd is gathering. Now Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Why? To glorify his name, he said. He delays. Lazarus dies. Jesus is finally revealing himself publicly after all this time, telling everybody, oh, don't say anything. But now he's telling everybody what's going on. So now let's turn to the left in your Bible over to Luke chapter 19. So we just covered Saturday. 
Some argue and say that was Friday. Maybe it was Friday. Maybe it was just Saturday, if that was the Sabbath. But now we're over into Luke chapter 19. We're flipping around just so we can get a clear narrative of, of how things went. So that happened, but now we come to Sunday morning. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Back to Psalm 118, right? They're prof- they, they know exactly what they're saying. They're not just going, oh, praise God. Here's a guy who's done some miracles. No, the language they're doing, they know what they're saying. They're saying, the Messiah has come. They're saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Save now. And then they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. They're quoting from Psalm 118, a, a messianic prophecy. They're saying, this is it. This is happening. The king, he's coming in. On a donkey, as was also prophesied. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why would they say rebuke your disciples? Because the Pharisees are saying, They're they're saying that you're the Messiah. Teacher, rebuke them. Stop them from saying that. And Jesus, who in the past, all these months, all these years leading up, is that, shh, shh, don't say anything. He heals somebody. Hey, don't tell anybody anything. Of course they do. Um, hey, don't tell anybody anything. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. The Pharisees would try and pin him down. Who are you? 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 And he would just, he would be wise. He was wise as a serpent. Couldn't hit him. He was always moving. He was outwitting them. He was smarter. He was wiser. He's better. But in this moment, he doesn't dodge it. In this moment, he doesn't say, hey guys, you know, don't worry about it. He doesn't have some clever way out of it. He totally owns it and receives their worship. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, if these people were quiet, the very stones would cry out. So he's saying to the Pharisees now, if people didn't worship me, the creation itself is going to. So you can have my disciples do it or the walls are going to. The walls of the temple will, the stones around will. All creation recognizes her creator and she will respond appropriately. Whether or not people do or not, the animal kingdom knows its creator, uh, and every, cre- every blade of grass knows its creator according to the glory of God. So this is what Jesus is fully stepping into. All this time, he's been saying, my time has not yet come. Why is Palm Sunday so significant? Because the king himself is finally saying, my time has come. 
This is my moment. This has been the prophecy. And now I'm publicly acknowledging and, and publicly receiving this worship. So this is, this is the, a, a quick snapshot. We're not going to go any further. There's a lot more here. And of course, we can't do everything. But here we see Jesus being honored the Friday or the Saturday before Palm Sunday and the week before Passover. A week from this night, he's going to be leading his disciples in that Passover meal, which he'll fully reveal to them as the new covenant in his blood and his body. Then they had their Sabbath. Then came the Sunday morning where he descended down the hill called the Mount of Olives. And now all throughout his ministry, like I said, Jesus has been silencing his disciples, saying to everybody, tell no one. But now he comes into Jerusalem boldly while the Pharisees are deliberately wanting to kill him. He knows this. They've wanted to, but now he's publicly going to enrage them because he steps in and all week long he creates even more trouble for them. He, he, goes, he actually goes right into the temple at this point and starts healing people. Into the temple. Why? Because it's his temple. It's his house. And he goes in and he brings his people in and he's healing and he's teaching and he's healing. Actually, he, he overturns the temple. This is the second time he throws a bunch of people out and overturns things. So he's just showing that I own everything. I own this. I heal my people. I bless my people. I am the good shepherd. And the Pharisees, this is, you can understand why they're worked up now because it's like they were afraid that he was going to be a conquering Messiah in the way that they thought too. So they're like, we've got to do something. He is the conquering Messiah but not in the way that they thought. But they're losing their followers because the one that they were supposed to be pointing towards has finally come. They weren't ready for him. They don't want to believe. They choose not to believe. And this is what's wild. This is why you've got to be encouraged. When people reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one who sent you. People can see Lazarus raised from the dead. These, pro- these Pharisees, they knew Lazarus was dead. They knew Jesus raised him, and they're like, we got to kill both of them now. What? Like, we got to kill Jesus, and then we got to kill Lazarus. Like, hey, what if this is the Messiah? Have you stopped to think about that? And then, you know, the high priest even prophesied that year by the direction of the Holy Spirit that one man should die for all the people, and that that man would be Jesus. <laughs> this is, and they're dead, and they still don't see it. Like, hey, man, you're doing the thing. You know, you're caught in the Lord's cogs right now. You, you think you're in control. You're not. He's, he's crushing you under his wheel. Um, you might want to get out from under there. And even after Jesus is raised from the dead, the Romans come to the Pharisees and they're like, hey guys, last night got nuts. Um, an angel came and rolled the tomb and they're like, don't tell anybody. We'll pay you. It's like, hey, this is your moment. Like, the Messiah has been raised from the dead. But no, why, why didn't they believe? Because they didn't want to believe. Because they didn't want to. That's it. They refused to believe. You and I will meet people who refuse to believe. Well, if I could just explain fossils to them. No, it's not true. It won't change anything. It doesn't matter. Well, if I could only know. Pray for them. Give them the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power. Well, they don't seem to respond well to it. Well, then they, then they won't respond to anything else. But it's not going to be, ooh, I feel like if just, no. Well, that's leaning on the arm of flesh. It is the gospel itself that is the power that sets people free. And if they won't see it, then they won't respond to it. If the scripture's not enough, then resurrections apparently aren't going to do it either. Well, I feel like if so-and-so got healed, if our paralyzed neighbor got, none of that would make a difference if a person refuses to believe. 
Can the Lord use those things for a, for a heart that's already humble? Yes, we see biblically people believe because of Lazarus. But the Pharisees refused to believe in spite of Lazarus. So Jesus publicly declaring his, his kingship now. What's more significant about Jesus riding in on a donkey? Because there's all kinds of things happening uh, in, the, in the triumphal entry that were like, what, why? What's going on? Why a donkey? Well, in Zechariah, another prophecy... Old Testament prophecy, one of the prophets prophesied in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, the, the king bringing peace. So the people are recognizing, they're starting to put two and two together and go, two plus two equals four. Let's celebrate. And they're rejoicing. This is good news. This is happening. He's coming in, not on a war horse, so kings would ride a war horse out into battle, but a a conquering victor would actually return on a donkey. Why? Because the donkey was a symbol of peace to say the war is over. The victory has been won. The king is established, his throne forever. So Jesus riding in on a donkey saying, it's done. I'm the champion. I am the winner. I am the hero. I've already overcome the world as he had already spoken to his disciples even though he was still in the process of walking that out for us so his miracles have reached far and wide his teaching has reached far and wide he's just raised lazarus from the dead this is all building and now he deliberately says so he participates in this prophecy go get a donkey i'm going to confirm all suspicions and i want to remove any doubts so they knew this the pharisees knew what jesus was doing hey go get me a donkey um, skeptics would be like, oh, look, he made this prophecy come to pass. Yeah, okay, what are you going to do with the other 4,000 of them that he did? <laughs> like, oh, could the donkey have been arranged? Clearly the donkey was arranged. Jesus made it happen. Uh, but he still satisfies all the prophecy and still reveals himself to be the Son of God. So how do you welcome the Messiah? That's the question, and that's what we're going to spend our, our last few minutes in here today. How do you welcome the Messiah? What's the right way? How do you honor the king who is the king of all? What's the appropriate response? It's too much to honestly comprehend. We, we, I'm tempted to think of Jesus a lot in his humanity. And I think that's, that's the significance, right? That's the both and of Jesus. It's the 100% God. It's the 100% man. It's the 200% person of Jesus. And it's just... On one hand, you're going, man, he's, he became a man like us. And on the other hand, you're going... He is eternal, and he always was. How do you honor this king? How do you honor any king if you want to show submission, if you want to show honor and worship? How would you honor that king? Well, that's great, but how would you honor the one who's, I mean, to say he's above him in the organizational chart is an understatement. You know, creation is so far below its creator, and this is the Lamb of God, the one who the Father is actually pleased with his sacrifice. It's too wonderful. It's too high to consider. But one thing becomes really clear through all of this. You give him your very best. That's what we see is evident on Palm Sunday. We see people giving Jesus their very best. So look back at that Friday evening meal for a moment. He's the honored guest and he's given the very best. The very best that they had to offer, they gave to his very lowest parts. This is another act of worship, even for his lowest parts. Mary poured expensive, classy, rare perfume. 
Roughly speaking, by today's terms, this would be a year's wages. So you take an average wage right now, roughly you know, $35,000. I Googled it, like, you know, 50K, 35K, somewhere in there. But I went with the conservative one. So $35,000 bo- $35, bottle of something. What are you going to do with that? Well, how are you going to use it? You're going to use it sparingly here. You're going to use it sparingly there. You're going to like a, a little dab here and there for like a momentous occasion. But what does she do? She breaks the whole thing, and where does she use it? Which part of his body does she use it on? On his feet. His His dirty feet. How do we know his feet are dirty? Well, they were probably washed before he came in. But the roads they walked on, these are not like our dirt roads. Why were they not like our dirt roads? Anybody know? Animals. Animals. (laughs) You ever been in the parades? You know, when the county parade and the horse comes down, you're like, oh, plop, 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 right behind him. You're like, oh, my goodness. It's like meatloaf hitting the ground and exploding. Sorry for the image there. We had meatloaf last night. <laughs> so, so you're just like, this is, this is caked into their roads, you know, and everything else that animals do. This is, this is their roads. This is what's happening. So where does she pour this beautiful on his head? No, on his feet. Why? He's the highest, but she goes to his lowest still to present her very best. And then what does she wipe his feet with? I'm going to scrub his feet clean. Let me go get a rag, maybe get my fanciest towel, right? What does this woman take? I mean, imagine that, ladies, kneeling and and using your hair to scrub in. I mean, the, the scriptures teach us We're told in 1 Corinthians, a woman's long hair is a glory to her. So Mary realizes that the best she can do for the king of the cosmos is to take, what's the most glorious thing I have? Let me take my $35,000 bottle of perfume and let me, how can I scrub his feet? I don't have a towel worthy. What would be the most humbling for me? What would be the most worship? Let me wash, let me scrub it in with my hair at your feet. I mean, she wasn't standing, obviously. She's down on the ground using, and people are watching her use her hair to worship. Why? Because it's the king of the cosmos. You know, on one hand, you feel like, oh my goodness, that's so humble. And then on the other hand, you're going, of course, it's not enough. It's not enough. And you know, that's what she felt. She didn't feel like, look at this. Y'all about to see some worship. That was not her heart at all. (laughs) That was not her heart. Her heart was, this is not enough. I I don't know what else I could do. I don't know what else I could do. Like, you know, licking his feet. I don't know what else I could do to show that I'm under him, that he is high, that he's lifted up. What do you do? How do you welcome a king? You give him your best. You give him your best. This is what we see happening. So there's, there's lots of things that we can't fully appreciate through, throughout the whole narrative. Some of the cultural things we could, if we had time, but we don't have time this morning. So in second Kings though, we get some help. Now we come to Sunday morning, back to the the procession as Jesus is coming into the city. What's up with the palm branches? What's up with the garments on the road? So in 2 Kings, we see that King Jehu is anointed to be king. So Elisha comes to him. He anoints him. He says, you're now the king. And now Jehu goes out to his officials because nobody knows why the prophet came. And they say, hey, you know, what is this? One translation says, what did that maniac want with you? Because, you know, that's, you know, they were... Uh, speaking dis- dishonorably about the Lord's prophet, but at the same time, they honor the Lord's prophet. How do we know? Well, because of what happens next. Jehu said, well, he said some things to me, and you know how these guys are. And they're like, no, we don't know how these guys are. What are you talking about? And he said, 
he anointed me to be king. And immediately, Jehu's officials, who in some cases may have been his peers, recognized, and they instantly said, Jehu is king. They took off their garments, and they threw him under his feet, and they put him on their garments as an act of joyful submission to their king, instantly honoring the word of the Lord. So they're like, hey, what the prophet, what happened in there? And he said, Elisha said, I'm the king. And they said, Jehu is king. Jehu is king. And they start instantly adapting and, and honoring what the Lord has done. So Jehu is made king and his fellow officials quickly spread their garments under him. The king walked on the clothes of his people. And this was their joyful submission and recognition to their king. How do you honor, honor a king? You give him your very best. You do the best that you've got. I want to honor you with everything. So now bring that up to Palm Sunday. Think about the Jewish people. So Jehu had officials who were doing this, probably wealthier, maybe had a little bit more of a wardrobe. But these folks did not have wardrobes like you and I have wardrobes. Uh, you know, we have our winter tub. We have our summer tub. You, know, you, do, you do the clothes change out thing, or is my summer clothes, or is my winter clothes? I guess if we lived in Florida, maybe we wouldn't do that as much. But depending on where you live, we've got all these clothes. I mean, I've got a bunch of shirts in the closet, and then I've got a drawer, and then I've got another drawer, and I won't tell you how many drawers Natalie has. I'll let you guess who has more drawers in our dresser. Is it me or is it Natalie? But we've got a lot, right? We're used to this. So it's not that big of a deal. Not the case in ancient times. A garment was not something that you just ordered off Amazon. You didn't buy a pack of t-shirts for, for, for a certain amount of money at Walmart. So a garment was something that was, of course, custom, handmade on somebody's loom and then sewn together. This stuff was so significant that even when Jesus was being crucified, the Roman guards, they're like casting lots to see who's going to get his clothes. They're like, oh, this is like a nice one-piece tunic. Like, oh, don't rip it, dude. Like, oh, no, like, you know, we'll, we'll roll dice for it. So clothing is a significant thing. And you don't have tons and tons of outfits. What am I going to wear today? I don't know. You know, the robe. Okay, good call. <laughs> so this is, this is more significant in their day. Now, consider that. Are you going to throw your clothes on a dirt road, even in our modern times with our modern clothes, knowing that we've got a bunch more at the house? I'm not going to take my jacket off and throw it. And, you know, the boys fall down and get their, knees, their, their, their jeans dirty. And we're like, oh, dude, come on. We've got to wash those now, man, even though they have other jeans. So this is not the same. It's hard to compare. It's hard to appreciate yeah. these people taking their garments off. Oh, I'm glad I left my coat on. Taking their garments off and throwing it onto their dirt road so that what? Jesus can walk on it? No. So that Jesus is donkey can walk on it. Yes, the donkey walked on it. He stepped on my jacket. You know, rubbed, rubbed it right into the road there. So they're throwing off their clothes on the road, not for Jesus to walk on, but for his donkey to walk on. Why? Because they want to honor the king. So they're, it, says they're going, it says they run out and they cut off palm branches. Different, uh, the different gospel authors give us different, different situations and showing us what happened. But they would cut off palm branches. That was another act of worship. Some scholars believe that they were actually, that palm branches were actually called hosannas. So as they were saying, save now, they're saying, Jesus, save now. They're throwing their garments. They're throwing their worship. They're giving their best. Man, like there's going to be a consequence to that, but it doesn't matter because I know who's coming and he's worthy. How do you welcome a king? You give him your best. So, what are they showing? They're showing that this is your city. This is your world. We are your people. He's not just a local leader. He's the cosmic king. So he's worthy of all that we can give. 
And once we've given the best of our best of our best, we still know it's not even close to being enough. But thank God in his grace, he receives it because he wants our best. He expects our best. He requires our best. This is our reasonable worship. It's considered extreme by who? Well, by Judas and by Pharisees. Judas and Pharisees are always going to tell you your worship is too much. Your worship is too extreme. You tithe? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You give, you give 10% of your money? No, well, actually, we tithe and then we give off. What? Are you kidding? That's too much. That's too much. Like, you go do stuff with your church. You spend time with your church. You make disciples. You have Bibles. Like, stop, man. Like, it sounds like you've gone over the deep end. No, you sound like Judas. You sound like a Pharisee. There are always going to be people telling you that you go too far in your devotion to King Jesus. You've gone off the deep end, they'll say. But these people are backsliders and these people are lost. Like Judas, they'll claim to have wise and thoughtful motives, but they will always keep the shirt on their back. And like the Pharisees, they will always have resentment for your extravagant worship. Just tone it down. Tone it down. Bring it back. Dial it in a little bit. Like, do you have to dance? Do you have to sing? Do you have to worship? I can't not do that. I can't not. And it's not enough. It feels like the best expression I can bring. And it still feels like, man, I didn't even touch what I, what I, where I needed to get to. It feels like it was just like I didn't even scratch the surface. You threw your jacket on the road for a guy to come walking in. Yeah. And, I, you know, I regret that I couldn't have done more. Why? Because we've been loved, we've been saved, we've been changed, and we've been sent. So how can we possibly hold it in? How do you welcome a king? You give him your very best. All creation recognizes its creator. If we were silent, the very rocks would cry out. I do not want to be replaced by any inanimate object out in the world that he's created. Everything is supposed to bring glory to God, but the thing that makes us distinct is we can choose to worship him. The animals aren't worshiping in the sense that we do. They don't know God in the way that we can. The angels can't even know him. They long, the scripture says, angels long to look into salvation. They can't experience salvation. They were made. They can choose. If they rebel, they're done. They'll be in hell with Satan and his demons. That's what it was designed for. But we as God's people, this is our appropriate response to welcome the king, to honor the king, like Lazarus, We've all been raised like the people who are celebrating as Jesus comes into the city. This is what we this is what we've enjoyed. He has come. He has rescued us. Our worship for him is never going to be too much. You're never going to go too far. If you look at the Pharisees, though, that would have been the temptation for those people. Right. Our religious leaders like we're used to following these guys. We're used to following their lead. Oh, oh, we don't we don't do that. Oh, okay, We don't do that. You know, oh, Caiaphas is over there. He looks mad at me. I don't want to get kicked out of the temple. Whose temple? It's Jesus' temple. Everything belongs to Jesus. Well, you know, my family, my coworkers, my, my friends, my neighbors, they might think or they might, this person might, what? Jesus owns them too. Jesus is everybody's king. This is the good news. This is good news. It's not bad news. Jesus is your king. And that's really good news. So are you giving God your best? On this Palm Sunday is how we'll close as we think about this. Am I giving God my best? Am I offering up my highest worship? Am I offering up my highest life? 
not just a thing here, a thing there, a thing here, a thing there, but all that comes from the appropriate heart. You don't have to start doing an audit of all the little checkboxes in your life. Oh, do I do it here? Do I do it here? Do I do it here? Hey, make it simpler. Do you do it here? Do you really honor and love King Jesus? If so, it will find its outward expression. It will find its outward expression in your conversations. It will find its outward expression in your checkbook. It will find its outward expression in everything, in every dimension of your life. I reference the checkbook because preachers have this joke. It's not very funny. But they say the checkbook's the last thing to get saved in a person. You know, talking about like every other part of a person's life gets saved. But their checkbook will come last. But that's, you know, that's not what Jesus teaches at all. Whenever my heart is right, then my, I'll understand where my treasure is. And I will actually live accordingly and appropriately. Now, the problem with the people of Palm Sunday, of course, is that they turn on him. Because they had an expectation that he didn't meet. At first, they were going, yes, this is the moment. He's about to overthrow. We're about to rise up. We're about to regain all the things we wanted. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you what you need most. And yes, when I give you my spiritual kingdom, that yeast, oh, don't get me wrong. It is supposed to leaven the whole lump. It's supposed to go and affect everything. Should it affect politics? You better believe it. Should it change the law? Absolutely. The law should be in accordance with the word of God. We're not Christians who are like, well, the Bible and the law. No, 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 no. Everything is Jesus's. Everything should follow the Bible. Anything that doesn't follow biblical rule and New Testament law is wrong. And it's out of alignment with the word of God. But they wanted the physical right away. They wanted a fight. And Jesus is saying, I came to show you what you've got to do. You've got to lay down your own life. Here, I'll do it first. I'll show you what it looks like. And then I'll show you what the resurrection life looks like as well. So this is our desire to welcome the king appropriately and to do it consistently, to do it all the time. Not just on Palm Sunday, not just be like, Lord, make me a, a humble follower, but Lord, make my life. Uh, the phrase, I had never said it before, but it came out a few times last week. Uh, I don't ever want to have a posture where it's like, oh, I'm as Christian as I'm going to get. Oh my goodness, Lord, help me to be more Christian. <laughs> Whatever you would define that as, Lord, I want, make me more of it. I don't want to be, oh, this is far, like, I'm in, I'm in the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom, but I'm not going past that line. I've drawn a line. Lord, I don't want to have any lines. Help me to move forward, not to be dragged forward, but to joyfully move forward, to worship you, to recognize what you've done, to enjoy it for myself, and then to spread it to others, because it's really, really, really good news. It's so good that if I were to be silent, the rocks would cry out. But I want to give God my best. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this moment that we get to celebrate, that we get to enjoy. As we go out through, through the rest of this day and for the rest of this week, we ask that you would keep our hearts and affections stirred towards you. That you would keep our hearts and our motives and our desires. Lord, we ask that you would mature us this week. Let this week be a growth spurt in our lives as individuals and as a church. Make this a growth spurt for us spiritually. Make this a growth spurt for us emotionally. Make this a growth spurt for us so that we would actually live out our worship in a new way. Make this holy week, make us more holy in it. As we move forward toward Good Friday, where you are crucified as we look forward towards Thursday night where we'll remember where you had the supper with your disciples. As Saturday comes and we embrace that
that day, that moment of pause, and remember the somberness that the early disciples would have felt, the fears that they experienced. And then as we look ahead with joy for the resurrection that has come, the Lamb of God who was slain has also been raised, and He is worthy to receive praise, glory, dominion, honor, and power forever and ever. Help us to welcome you with our very best. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.